West Bowles, good morning. Hey, I just got to ask, um, that video is actually purposely short this week, the intro video, because every single week I'm wondering, am I the only one whose blood pressure triples when that music's on? I mean, every week before the message, I'm sitting here going, I feel like we're in a high-speed chase or just pulled off a bank heist or not that I know what any of that stuff is like. I'm, I'm just saying it feels like it, okay? I, I've heard. Okay. Well, this picture you're looking at right now, you're looking at this picture because there is a story attached to this picture that I want to tell you about. Um, that was taken a few miles from here at the Ken, Ken Carroll and Sims King Supers Grocery Center, right across the street from it. And what would happen when I was uh, in high school, it was summer of 1997, all right? And um, I was going to be a senior at Columbine High School. And after youth group on Sunday nights, um, when the weather got warmer, we would, as a group, go to this Dairy Queen that is, you can see that back fire hydrant on the right of the picture? We would go to that Dairy Queen after youth group. And so you can imagine the collective sugar rush with all these kids going to Dairy Queen. And I would get sugar in me, and my brain would just start making connections. And it was just pure wisdom pouring out of me, I felt like. And so... Uh, I look around and I see this girl that I like and I'm thinking, I got to impress her. I'm going to show her what I'm made of. And then I saw a few stray grocery carts from King Supers right in front of Dairy Queen. And then I saw this straightaway right down the middle of this picture. And yeah, you know exactly where this is going. And so uh, I thought, okay, well, we'll roll these grocery carts up to King Supers, which is kind of more in the back there. And then um, a few people can go into the store and they'll distract all the King Supers workers so that we don't get in trouble. And then a few of us will jump in the basket of the grocery cart. And then uh, some other people can be like the bobsled push-off team. And they'll, they'll start running with the carts and shove us. And surely those grocery carts will slow down by the time we get to uh, Dairy Queen. Yeah, I came up with all that on my own. Can you, can you believe that? Well, let me ask you, have you ever had an idea that just looked like a much better idea than it actually was? Aside from all the obvious reasons this was a bad idea, the other big reason this was a bad idea was the presence of a man named Tony Lapina. Okay, and Tony, let me describe Tony for you. Um, on the scale of fun from one to 10, one being no fun and 10 being the most fun, when everybody else is having a 10, Tony'd look at that and go, eh, that's a three, but I know what to do to take it to a 10. And, and usually Tony taking his level of fun to a 10 it meant taking your level of fun down into the negative numbers. And that's what happened on this night. Um, I hopped into the shopping cart and we're off and I crossed the finish line first and won the race and Tony's standing there just smiling and he's like, Nathan, congratulations, you won the race and your race isn't done yet. And he proceeded to grab the cart and he shoved me down this slope where you see this car here, right towards Sims Street. And so I'm in this cart, and I hear Tony's laugh. He has a very distinct laugh. You remember Nelson from The Simpsons, if you ever watched that show? That was Tony. And uh, I was in this cart, and our incredibly Christian, loving, devout youth group is just um, pointing at me and laughing the entire time. And I'm realizing this cart is going to hit this curb that you can see right there. So you don't really go out on The Sims, but it hit this curb, dump me out on the sidewalk, and I'm going to break something if I don't jump. Okay, problem, newsflash, I've got short little bear legs, okay? So you don't just step out of a cart, you gotta, you gotta jump when you're my height. So I jump, hit the ground, I do this barrel roll, pretty much right out of the movies, I should probably be a stuntman, but anyway. The cart hits the curb, flips over, kind of skids into partially a lane of traffic. And luckily there, was no, there wasn't much traffic that night, but 
there was one car, a police car. <laughs> so the lights kick on, he turns around, I hear boop, boop. And I'm thinking, this is, this is like what thug life is like. Like, I've got to run, you know? And uh, he said, no, no, stay where you are. He gets out of the car. He says, you want to tell me what you were thinking just now? And you can imagine the explanation. I was like, Ooh, there's sugar in my body and the girl I'm trying to impress. And somebody put grocery carts in front of Dairy Queen. They basically forced me to use them, you know? And straight away, my friend Tony shoved me. And what I needed to say was, officer, the explanation is, I'm an idiot, okay? And I remember going home thinking, what was I thinking? And I look back at that moment, I go, what was I thinking? And the reason I bring all this up is because this morning, as we open chapter 10 of the story, you're going to see God's people, the Israelites, and they've got this idea that just sounded like a much better idea than it actually was. And it wasn't shopping cart racing, it was actually this idea. They said, we want a king to lead us. We want a king. And as we'll see this morning, they got their king. In fact, they got an entire line of kings that we're going to look at over the next few weeks as we head into Easter. But what we're going to see about those kings is that every single one of them got this thought in their mind that said, I'm perfect. But as you follow their leadership and you follow their choices, you see that they were very, very imperfect because they got into some situations where they didn't know what to do and they made some decisions that we now read about in the Bible. And you look at the decisions and you just go, what were you thinking? What in the world were they thinking? And as we look at Israel's first king this morning, what we're going to find out is that what they were thinking in their life situations is actually the exact same thing that we're thinking in our life situations. And as we look at his life, and then we look at the life, something out of the life of Israel's real king, Jesus, there is this incredible insight for us, for how we can operate in the middle of those life situations where we don't know what to do, so that later on we don't look back and say, what was I thinking? So let's jump in. Last week, Thomas, he painted a great picture of where the Israelites were at as we open up this week. You know, God had decided to lead his people, but he decided to do it through judges. And so he had a series of judges presiding over Israel. And when we get to the chapter this morning, you heard about a number of them last week, but this morning, it's a man named Samuel. And Samuel, he, as he got older, he started kind of looking to the future. And he said, you know what? I've got to start thinking about who is going to preside over Israel once I'm gone. So he looks at his sons and he says, okay, well, they'll do it. Well, the Israelites looked at all this and they just said, you know, Samuel, this judges thing that God's established is not really working. It's not. In fact, here specifically is what they said to him. This is in, um, this, this starts on page 135 of the story, or if you have your Bibles, it's 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now if we stopped right there, you learn so much about the way we operate, because it hasn't changed in thousands of years. Isn't this what we do? We kind of look at one option that's kind of been established, and we go, uh, I don't know if that's working anymore. And then we look at another option that's maybe on the horizon, what's coming, and we go, uh, I can't really see that working. And then what we do is instead of sitting tight, we start looking around. We start looking at other people. We go, oh, well, that's working for them. So maybe that's what I'll do. 
And that's what the Israelites did here. They were looking at these other nations and they said, well, they've got kings to lead them. And that's working really well for them. So that's what we need. And they tell Samuel all this. And Samuel goes to the Lord. And obviously he's upset. And the Lord says, Samuel, don't be upset because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. They're just following their pattern that they've had since time began. You know, I brought them out of Egypt and they turned and they worshiped other gods. Every single time I've shown I'm trustworthy. And what do they do? They trust themselves or in other gods. So you know what, Samuel, go tell them. Go tell them what life is going to look like if they get this king. So Samuel goes back to him. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you what life is going to look like. He says, if you get a king, he's going to take. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your livestock. He's going to take your land. In fact, six times Samuel says, this king will take from you. The king you've had, your heavenly father, God, he has given to you but a human king will take from you. And what for? Nine times, Samuel says, for his purposes, for his chariots, for his officials, for his land, for his livestock. All that he takes from you, he's gonna use for his purposes. And the, the Israelites, what God's really telling them here is, look, you wanna take this whole thing into your own hands, that's fine, but you're gonna get a king who takes things into his own hands and you're gonna see what it's really like. And the same thing that was true for them is actually true for us today. Because God's also saying, look, if you wanna take things into your own hands, you know what the result of that is gonna be? Your own harm. If you wanna trust you, you're gonna hurt you. It's just gonna happen because of our nature. Now, you'd think after hearing all this, the Israelites would go, Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll stick with the judges thing. Well, that's not what they say. They say, no, we want a king. We want to race shopping carts through a crowded parking lot. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. Have you ever watched somebody, you ever watched somebody come up with this idea that they're just so confident in, like they think it's going to work just amazing, but from a mile away, you can tell that is a bad idea. That is just not going to work. That's what it was like for God and Samuel as they watched the Israelites stick with this decision. For them, it was kind of like watching this. Take a look. What you have to do is believe in yourself, make a plan of action, and follow through with it. And if you believe you can do something, then you can. Like I can do with this board. didn't believe in myself enough. I'm going to try again. Okay.
apparently I don't believe in myself as much as... Get out of the way! What happened? <laughs> you hurt yourself? <laughs> oh man. I mean, for his sake, I wanted him to stop, but for our sake, I was like, keep going. This is, this is funny. Did you hear the voice at the end? You hurt yourself? Well, yeah, he hurt himself. Because God says that's what happens when you trust yourself. You take things into your own hands, the result is going to be your own harm. So Samuel goes back to God. He says, look, after all the warning, they still want a king. God says, fine. Listen to them. Give them a king. They want to hit themselves over the head with a board over and over and over. We're going to let them. Might even laugh a little. So... The story progresses, and you find out that the Lord has picked one man. It's a man named Saul, and Saul is described um, as Marshim. It's really, it's a Hebrew word for tall, dark, and handsome. And just side note, I'd like to just tell you I often am described as Marshim. Um, actually, no, I looked for the Hebrew word for short, white, and peculiar, and... There's not one. Or if there is, it probably sounds like Nathan. So anyway, but you see Samuel anoint Saul. And at the end of anointing Saul, listen to what Samuel says to him, because this is going to be important. He says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. This was important because sacrificing these offerings was pleasing to God. And they, they just felt that if they did this, then they would have the Lord's favor as they did whatever they were going to do. So Samuel says, I'm, I'm coming to do this, all right? And then listen to what he says. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So in that next seven days, you see Saul becomes king. And, and there's confirmation of him as a king. But it's not until he gets into these specific situations a couple situations where he doesn't know what to do. And suddenly he looks around and he, he makes some decisions. And what we're going to see in the middle of these decisions where he doesn't know what to do is the exact same thing we go through. In fact, you're going to see two things that even though thousands of years have passed since King Saul walked this earth, those two things that pressured and influenced and compelled him in those moments, they're the exact same two things that compel us in moments where we don't know what to do. In the first one, you see he's about to go into battle against the Philistines, because that's what kings do. And that's what Israel wanted their king to do, was lead them into battle. So he's about to go into battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines are kind of like the perpetual enemy of Israel. Okay, Broncos fans, these are like the Oakland Raiders, okay? And so what happens is Saul gets, he gathers 3,000 men, and, um, and his son Jonathan takes 1,000 of them, and he decides to go and attack this outpost that the Philistines have. And this was Israel kind of throwing the first punch in the fight. This is Israel saying, it's on, okay? And then when you see what the Philistines did, you realize the Philistines are like, yeah, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong, all right? I, I don't think scripture says it that way exactly. Here's what it says. It says, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. Okay, so this is like the Philistines. It's kind of a David and Goliath thing. And actually, that story's 
next week, okay? But you've got really large army against not a very big army. And so you can imagine the dynamic going on with Saul and his men right now. In fact, look what happens. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the, the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So here's Saul. He's getting ready to go into battle. And he's looking around, and his guys are hiding. You can imagine the fear. The one thing that he needs to have happen hasn't happened yet. You see what that is next. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. I mean, can you imagine? The Philistines, the enemy's about to close in. And you've been here, right? We've had these situations where it feels like life's closing in. And then his men are starting to scatter. And he just needs one thing to happen. Well, what do you think Saul did? He did the exact same thing that you and I would do. Take the, take the whole situation into his own hands. Look at what happens next. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. And then, I love this next part, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Can you imagine? Okay, so here's like all the smoke rising from the offering and there's the ash all over. This is that moment when parents, your kids are trying to hide what happened, you know, and, and there's this burning smell and every parent or child, if you've ever been either one of those, that's everybody in here, you know this moment when Samuel shows up and the evidence of what has happened is just so, so, so visible. This was Tuesday. Lincoln thought our uh, markers were, were candy bars. But you know what came out of Samuel's mouth next? What have you done? What have you done? And listen to Saul's explanation. Pay attention to this. Because when you see this explanation, we get a clue as to that first thing that compels us to take things into our own hands. <clears throat> he says, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that, Phil and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Have you been there? Have you been in that place in life where you're just looking around at life and it feels like it's closing in and there's just one thing? You're just waiting on one thing to happen and seemingly everything else hinges on that one thing. But it's not happening. And, and what you see in this moment is that when our timing of when we think something should happen and God's timing don't line up, the result is this. We feel compelled to take things into our own hands and trust who? Ourselves. Let me just give you a, a hypothetical situation. All right, your, your wife is nine months pregnant with your second child. And I don't know, let's just say that that baby is due on January 2nd. And, and hypothetically speaking, you've had some accounting classes and, and you remember from those accounting classes that if that baby could just be born by midnight on December 31st, there's a really nice tax break, okay? And so this baby's got to be born by December 31st at midnight. And then December 31st comes around and it's noon 
and these contractions aren't coming fast enough. I mentioned this was a hypothetical situation, right? <laughs> so you start slipping cayenne pepper and Tabasco into your wife's food, and you say, hey, let's go for a drive, and we could go four-wheeling or something like that, or go sledding. <laughs> now, I know that was kind of specific, okay? And some of you are glaring at me, but it was purely hypothetical. Nothing, nothing to do with our family. I, our second child was born on January 6th. Anyway, so... <laughs> But our picture of timing, when we think something should happen, plays into this so much. And we're tempted to take things into our own hands. Now, that's one element that works on us in these situations. The other thing you see not long after this battle with the Philistines. And you see it happening with Saul. See, there was a time when there were a people called the Amalekites. And when God was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, the Amalekites decided to attack the Israelites from behind. And the Lord remembered all this. And listen to what he says. This is uh, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. And if you're in the storybook, this is page 143. This, uh, the Lord says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it, what God has asked Saul to do? Look what Saul does. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way to the east of Egypt. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. There's a difference there, isn't it? So Samuel gets word of this, and he says, well, it's time to have a conversation. And so he goes, and he finds Saul, and they start having this conversation. And at some point, Samuel says, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not obey him? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Listen to Saul's explanation. But I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. This is like Samuel looking at Saul and saying, Saul, why didn't you finish all the food on your plate? And Saul says, I did finish all the food on my plate. I just left some on the plate. Doesn't make any sense. And Samuel responds. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And then look what he says. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. I read that and I just thought, there it is. There's that second thing that compels us when we get into the middle of a situation where we don't know what to do and we're looking around and looking around and looking for an answer. The first thing that compels us is our timing, when I want it to happen. But the second thing that compels us is our terms. It's what I want in this situation. And this is Samuel saying to Saul, look, God asked you to do something and you're doing what God asked on Saul's terms. God asked you for one hundred percent totally completely destroy and Saul you looked at all of it and said 99 percent is good enough 
Do you know what would happen in our world if 99% was good enough in a scenario like this? On every single page of, of type, you'd have three or four misspelled words. If 99% were good enough, then every single day for 15 minutes, we'd be without power, electricity, internet. And that may not seem like a big deal at home, but when you start thinking about our, our national defense system, that's a big deal. If 99% were good enough, then we'd lose 1.7 million pieces of mail every single day. 35,000 newborn infants would be dropped by doctors and nurses every single year. 200,000 people would get the wrong prescription medications. And we'd have unsafe drinking water over three and a half days every year. See, 99%, it wouldn't be acceptable to us, and it's not acceptable to God. Now, you hear that and you think, oh, that means I got to be 100% perfect. That's not what it means. I think what Samuel's getting at here is that in whatever situation you're in, you need to be 100% about what God wants in that situation and 0% about what you hope he wants in that situation. But our terms compel us. Our timing compels us. I mean, isn't that really what our plans of life are made of? My timing, my terms. I'm going to do what I want, when I want. And you know what? The surest sign that you've taken things into your own hands is your focus on your own plans, my timing, my terms. A few years ago, I was moving a, uh, a piece of furniture in our living room, and I picked this thing up, and uh, our oldest daughter, Lainey, at the time, she was three or four, and she came along, she just kind of grabbed onto the leg of this chair, just walking with me. And she was like, Dad, Set it down. Just move out of the way. It's like, okay. She's like, I know where this needs to go. And I thought, you know what? It's cute when a child asks daddy to move out of the way because they want to take furniture into their own hands. But it's not so cute when because we want to take life into our own hands, we ask our Heavenly Father to move out of the way. And it's not until later, oftentimes it's not until later, that we find out just what was at stake you know what, uh, Saul? He found out later what was at stake. If you go back to the story with the Philistines, right after Saul gave his explanation as to why he offered up this burnt offering, listen to what Samuel tells him, because he tells him exactly what was at stake. You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, listen to this, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. Implication, Saul, today you have created your greatest regret. And then look at what Samuel tells Saul, what was at stake after he failed to completely destroy the Amalekites. He says, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Implication, Saul, today you have missed out on your greatest blessing. Saul, you've taken everything into your own hands. Implication, the Lord has torn it out of your hands. 
See, you, you know what this situation with the Israelites and, and Saul in these situations in his story, you want to know what it really tells us? Is that you don't ever take into your hands what belongs in God's hands. You don't ever, ever take into your hands what belongs in God's hands. You just don't do it. And you know why? Because there's too much at stake, way too much at stake. And the result will be hurting yourself. You want to know who got this whole thing right? I mean, Israel's first king, he didn't get this right. But Israel's real king, Jesus, he got this right. Jesus got it right. Some of you are going, well, duh, Nathan, Jesus gets everything right. But look at the circumstances under which Jesus got it right. Some of you know the story. He's out in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Nobody thinks clearly after going without food for 40 days. I'm done after 40 minutes. 40 minutes, I'm standing at the fridge like, duh, food. You know, but Jesus, so clear about one thing in the middle of this situation. Satan comes to him. He says, wow, I bet, Jesus, I bet you want food. Yeah. Jesus could have easily said, I'm hungry. I want food. And he says, you know what? Jesus, you, you could throw yourself off this mountain right now. I bet you want God's protection. You want God's protection, don't you? Yeah. You know what? Better yet, Jesus, come to the top of this mountain. See all these kingdoms? You want kingdoms, don't you? You want a kingdom of, of your own? You want your own kingdom one day? Yeah. Just bow down and worship me, Jesus, and you'll have all of it. And as you look, I hope we go more in depth in this sometime, but as you look at Jesus' responses in each of those three temptations, you know what the temptations were about? Taking things into his own hands. And Jesus' responses for the three of them were about trusting his heavenly father. He said, you know what? I know God wants all that there, but I'm gonna let him put it there on his timing, on his terms. That's what 100% perfect trust in our heavenly father looks like. That's what it looked like for Jesus. Let me tell you what it looked like for this church. A lot of you were here about a year and a half ago. We started this pastor search. And you know, a month went by and everything's fine, still looking. Two months went by, you know, everything's still fine. It was a busy time of year. About three months into it, I think there was a collective feeling of, oh, is there a leader? Is there a pastor for this church? And you know, it's hard, especially on staff, you know, people, and it was, it was with all great motives. Hey, what's the word? Is, are, is there a pastor coming? Isn't there a pastor yet? Because when, when did we want a pastor? Now. And so there were two names that, that we looked at. as a search team, as a staff, and the elders. And they flew in these two guys and got to sit down with these two guys and interview them and meet with them. And a good chunk of the group really, really liked one guy. And part of the group liked the other guy. And then some were kind of neutral. And uh, it just felt like, uh, you know, some people are starting to walk out the door because they just want to be at a church where there's a pastor, understandably. You're thinking, we've got to make something happen now. And this one guy, like a lot of them, a lot of the team thought, oh, he's really good. Let's get him. And I look back now. There was one, there was one elder who stood up and said, you know what, guys, I think God's terms in this situation mean unity. 
And if we don't have unity on this decision, then we can't go forward with this decision. And that meant we were going to send two guys home, and it meant we were going to keep looking with no end date in sight. And that's hard. That's hard to do. I look back now and think, you know what? Picking one of those guys, it's not that they wouldn't have been suitable, but that probably would have been one of our greatest regrets. And what's even worse is we would have missed out on one of our greatest blessings that God has given us here at this church. And it's the arrival of our pastor, Thomas, and what God's done through them. See, that's what waiting on God's timing, God's terms looks like. And you know what? It always happens slower than you want it to because what's our timing? Now. I want the situation to be resolved now. It always happens slower than you want, but faster than you ever could have imagined. I mean, it wasn't long. So that's what it looked like for Jesus. That's what it looked like for the elders of this church. I'm going to ask the, the praise band to come forward as we close. But let me ask you something. What's it look like for you? I mean, what's the situation that you're looking at right now? And you're thinking, it's got to happen right now, and it's got to look just like I want it to. What situation is that? You know, you're about to hit the buy button and make a financial decision. You're about to make a relationship decision, starting one, ending one. You're about to accept a job. You're about to just make some kind of a move in life because you just feel the urgency of now where it's exactly what you pictured. Let me tell you something. If that hasn't happened yet and it's not happening now, that moment's coming. And if you decide in that moment to take things into your own hands, you know what you'll discover? You will never, ever discover just how trustworthy your heavenly father is when you leave situations in his hands. So two quick takeaways for you. One, can you wait? What if you waited? What if I know you're ready to run right out here after church and, and act on your decision? What if you waited? Let's try seven days, what Samuel asked Saul to do. Seven days. I know that's hard to hear when you want something now. Listen, it's not so much about the number of days you wait. It's about saying in this moment, I'm going to suspend what I want so that I can hear what God wants for all my moments. And number two, who have you talked to about that decision you're going to make? Who have you talked to? I mean, spouses, I mean, it's real easy to talk each other into things, right? I'm saying outside of that, who have you called and given an all-access pass to your next decision? And I don't just mean the pretty details of it. I mean every detail, the ugly details too. Because those are the people that are going to act as Samuel did to Saul. They're going to hold the mirror up and they're going to say, look, God asked 100%. I think this is 99%. I'm going to ask the Stephen ministers to come forward as well. We're going to close in a song and then pray. But let me ask you, if you need to talk to somebody, now is the time. Now is the time to come forward, pray with the Stephen minister. Thomas will be up here as well. Come pray. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never given your life to Christ. And this is just, you look at your life and you go, I've had my whole life in my hands this whole time. What have I been thinking? Maybe now's the day. Maybe now's the time to come forward and put your life in his hands, in the hands of a king who was 100% obedient and has proven trustworthy. 
So let's worship to close out the service and we'll pray.